I'm Becky, and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast, where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hello, and welcome back to season two of the Salty Mums podcast. It feels like since forever that I've been sat here recording openings like this but um I think the last season finished in at the end of March but so it's just really good to be back here but um I've been busy preparing what I hope will be a really exciting interesting affirming season for you that will bless you in some way because uh, we've just got a fantastic lineup of guests and some really hopefully different topics than you've heard on some parenting podcasts, although we're not a parenting podcast, we're a motherhood podcast. Important distinction. So you may be noticing there's no Helen with me today. And yes, I'm feeling a little bit lonely right now because Helen has decided for very good reasons that she's got to step back from the podcast for now. Helen is one seriously busy lady and you know what it's like as a mum juggling lots of plates sometimes you have to put one plate down and um, sadly for me it had to be the podcast but hopefully she will be back on at some point to chat to us and she very kindly gave her blessing for me to carry on the podcast because we felt that something exciting was happening towards the end of the last season and getting it was gaining some momentum and we didn't want it to stop for now and just wanted to see where it went so here we are today. Anyway, I could witter on all day, which I'm not going to do. So I am just going to start today's episode. We have got a great guest today. We have the wonderful Rachel Newham. Um, She is founder of the charity Think Twice. Um, and which is a Christian mental health charity and she is now mental health friendly church project manager at Kintsugi Hope and um, I've had the joy of reading her books recently which are learning to breathe and yet uh, learning to breathe is the story of her um, journey through mental illness and and yet is um, a wonderful book about joy and lament and we'll unpack that during the podcast and um, she writes and speaks nationally about mental health and faith and she is mum to one hello Rachel Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it is totally my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Well, I've given a brief introduction there, but do you want to um, tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I guess my my Christian story started at the age of five and hasn't stopped yet. Um, kind of became a Christian very young, decided I wanted to be a, a missionary in Rwanda at six. Um, then I decided I'd like to be a Baptist minister. Um, and now I... Um, talk about mental illness and faith all day <clears throat> I'm still not entirely sure well the only thing that connects those three things is Jesus um so that bit stayed the same um but yeah my my kind of whole working life really has been about talking about mental health and mental illness in the Christian context and kind of trying to to raise awareness and and increase understanding around mental health issues and faith and kind of what the bible has to say about mental health and mental illness and I'm a theologian at heart I always say um, and then kind of ended up doing the mental health stuff accidentally almost isn't that a story of a lot of Christians though yeah <laughs> <laughs> you think you're going to do one thing and then god has different plans <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> 
And um, your little one, can, can we ask how, how old they, they are? Yep. So my son is four and a half. Um, so we're in that wonderfully weird time of he's definitely not a toddler anymore. He goes to school in September um, and he knows absolutely everything. Um, <laughs> far more than you. <laughs> far more than me and has an incredible amount of sass and a real thirst for knowledge, which I'm really enjoying. And I'm just praying that it kind of stays for as long as possible um, because I'm really enjoying that bit of, of parenthood. Um, I'm, I'm generally enjoying this bit of parenthood, probably between the ages of 10 months and, and three and a half, less so. Um, the toddler years were not my friend, um, but I am, I'm, I'm really enjoying this stage, actually. Oh, that's good. That's good. Are you ready for them starting school in September? Yeah, I think I think I'm ready because he's so ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and every kind of conversation we have with preschool is like, he's ready for school. I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm dreading him learning maths because then I I have to vaguely know what's going on and I, I don't. So um, I think we might ring ring aunties and uncles for help with maths homework. <laughs> I have that problem with my eldest who is a bit of a maths whiz at times and uh I just leave it all to his dad most of the time because his dad did A-level maths. Um, and I, I did GCSE maths, obviously, but it was I was so glad to say goodbye to it. So, yeah, I do. Uh, I do know. What <laughs> you mean. But, um, yeah, my my youngest is starting school this year and um, I've got to admit I'm dreading it. And uh, I think I'm going to be very emotional. So I'm going to plan to do something really nice straight after drop off just to cheer myself. Yeah, definitely. That first day. And um, so clearly mental health is a passion of yours. Can you tell us your story of why you've, you've become such an advocate for mental health? Yeah. Um, so it started because when I was, I was 14, so it's the start of year 10 at school, basically I started crying and didn't stop for about a year. And it was eventually kind of diagnosed with depression and, and through probably between the ages, particularly of kind of 14 and 21, were pretty horrendous. Um, I lived with an eating disorder and was self-harming and tried to take my own life twice um, during that period. And I had this real sense that actually the people who were caring for me had did an absolutely incredible job within the church. My my youth minister, my... Um, the pastor of the church um were an incredible support um but the youth worker in particular would wouldn't mind me saying that he was leading like he didn't know what he was doing that he hadn't had any training he didn't feel particularly equipped to to kind of pastor somebody going through um mental illness um and I just got a bit of a bee in my bonnet even as I was ill that actually no one understood this um and it felt it made it feel even more lonely because, you know, we have a conversation about mental health and mental illness now, which, you know, isn't perfect, but is there. Um, but back in sort of the mid 2000s, it wasn't. Um, the most I remember mental health being talked about was was on Hollyoaks, I think, at the time. Um, there was a couple of characters, but it really was, you know, oh, you, it's just a teenage thing or there was no, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of said to me, particularly within school that, that just really showed a real lack of, of understanding around what mental health and mental illness was. And I had this 
passion for for theology and for the bible from very very young um and those two things kind of they grew in tandem I, I got sicker and sicker but more interested in in theology and what the bible was having to say and um I was admitted to a um mental health unit for one night when I was 16 um and it I, it was an adult ward um and it was pretty horrendous and in the midst of the noise I shoved a sermon on from one of from my uh, pastor at the time which is on John chapter one talking about kind of shining light in the darkness and I felt rather than heard the words we've got to shine in here and didn't really think about them for many many years after um, until I ended up doing some uh, chaplaincy on a mental health unit um, while I was doing my theology degree and I kind of had those words again you know we've got to shine in here so I started a Facebook page and a blog because it was 2010 and that's what you did um, and then Think Twice was born and I led that for um, just over a decade and um, before it closed closed a couple of years ago um, so that kind of my whole yeah my whole life since the age of 14 has has had mental illness in it um sort of both in my working life and in my actual life um and it's it's been a weird it's one of the weird things I think about our faith isn't it that that so often God uses the thing that hurts the most um to to make us um and to kind of to do his work and it's it's not always the easiest but it's it's something I continue to feel I guess called to um yeah yeah it's, it's interesting you say that isn't it because um I we we lost our first baby and mm. um I feel that was life-changing and it's sort of um you know like but there's there's not a sense of that God, God, God caused that thing to happen but it, there is a sense of that god redeems that situation in some ways or that sort of phoenix out the ashes um mm. and somehow it shapes the rest of your life and 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 yeah i mean i i never felt closer to god than through that situation so mm. um, yeah interesting um uh so you wrote your book um your first book learning to breathe in 2018 yeah. and since then you've become a mum um motherhood is often a time when women can experience a deterioration in, in mental health or can experience mental illness for the first time. Has, mm. has motherhood impacted on, on your story of, of mental illness at all? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because both during pregnancy and probably for the first year of my son's life, my mental health was the best it had been since I was 14. Um, I I loved that stage. Um, I personally, pregnancy was pretty good to me. Um, I didn't, you know, I mean, I wouldn't choose to live like that forever, but it was it was a great season. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the um, hormones are good. The shiny hair, the nice skin, the exactly. not yeah. caring that you've got a huge belly anymore, and but then the aches and the... <laughs> yeah, no, <that's> yeah. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, and, and that first year was... I felt great. Um, then we went into the pandemic. And so it was just odd. But again, I didn't, I, my mental health didn't, didn't deteriorate at all, really, during the pandemic. Um, 
and I've read some quite interesting things actually around that in that not certainly not for everybody but for some people who have who had pre-existing mental health conditions actually the pandemic is was not easier but it wasn't a shock to the system because you're used to limits which I found really interesting and I cert- certainly kind of resonated with me um but kind of from from 2021-ish um I found myself sort of struggling again and that the the two of the most demanding things well they are the two most demanding things in my life mental illness and motherhood and their demands are completely contradictory at all times and that has been the biggest challenge for me that you know mental illness demands rest and routine and stability and a small child demands the exact opposite of that um and trying to balance balance those things has been a real struggle and you know I'm incredibly fortunate that I've got you know a really supportive husband and really supportive family and friends um but that constant tension between doing the stuff that I know I need to do to keep myself well and doing the stuff that I know I need to do as a mum and working out which thing you do first is is really difficult because actually if I don't rest then I can't function as a mum but equally when your child's ill you don't rest because they're ill and you know they don't like you to rest they want you there all the time and yep. so that has been yeah the greatest challenge I think just just balancing those those demands and and knowing which way to which way to go at, at each point really I guess yeah and how how do you if it's not too personal question how do you find that balance like how do you know when to to rest and, and is it just simply that when you've got help you rest or is it sometimes actually having the courage because I think it takes courage sometimes to actually go no I have to come first in this very moment I think probably before 2021 I just sort of ignored it and <laughs> but it got to the point kind of in in the in 2021 that actually we as a family had to make the decision to um put my son into nursery for for a few more hours um a week so that I could continue to function and work and care for him when he was here um my son as well is incredibly outgoing and needs kind of company what really craves that really craves kind of being around lots of people that's where he's happiest um and so we've I guess we've been lucky in the sense that he's really thrived at, at preschool and, and has loved it and so putting him in for more hours he was like yay great um, and that really was that's the way that I have to to do it and that I kind of the fun, it, the fun is the stuff that gets sacrificed, I guess, because if I'm not looking after him and I'm not working, I'm, I'm resting for the most part. That doesn't mean I don't have any fun. Um, but that is the priority of making sure that I can look after him and and work. So the, the other stuff kind of does get. I have to quite conserve quite a lot of energy to do it um, and kind of there's there's a payback for it, I guess, as with any anyone who's kind of lived with a with a chronic illness will know that kind of kickback from doing the really nice thing and um, that you kind of have to to balance balance it on the other end oh thank you that's really that's really helpful and 
yeah it is it is sometimes just um yeah it's is, it is really hard sometimes isn't it finding that balance mm-hmm. and and really hard um making difficult decisions like that we um uh when my youngest was born there was only a 22 month gap between my two boys and my my boys are your stereotypical slightly feral boys yeah. <laughs> um, they're noisy they're physical um and so I had this 22 month old and a baby with reflux who didn't sleep oh, um gosh. bar right next to me basically lived on me and um I could feel my mental health was deteriorating um, quite quickly. And I hadn't planned to start my my eldest in preschool till three. Um, but I very quickly put him into preschool just for two mornings a week, just to give my give me the space enough just to focus on one child for, for two mornings a week. But yeah. um, it can feel uh, it can feel a bit selfish doing it sometimes, can't you? But I think motherhood is also just survival and self-preservation sometimes. Yeah, and actually, I think to be honest, it, it at the time it didn't feel selfish because it felt it was the only way we knew that I was going to survive it. Um, it was very much it wasn't a kind of oh let's do this so that I can probably in the same with your situation as well. It wasn't oh I'm going to do this because I want to it was actually this is a this is definitely a need Um, and probably you're more aware of your needs yeah I think so and I think certainly over the last couple of years I've become very aware of of my limits and taking notice of my limits and listening to them um I think previously and certainly kind of before um I had my son I I pushed my limits you know to the yeah. very very nth degree and now I kind of say actually for this season of my life it's just not worth it um and I there's a author Kay Redfield Jameson who's a um lives with bipolar disorder but she's also a um psychiatrist says that you know we all move uneasily within our restraints and I think that that kind of phrase has stayed with me since I first read it when I was about 17 I think um and that awareness of we can only do as much as we can do. We can't be everything to everyone all the time. And actually, it is an act of care for those we love to look after ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that's really hard for particularly for mums to to kind of get our heads around. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. One of my favorite quotes is it's very similar, but um uh, it's by Theodore Roosevelt and it's do what you can with what you have where you are yeah. and um, sometimes what you can is and what you have is limited resources and limited energy and you know these yeah. limits and um, yeah that got me through um, some I'm I'm a typical type A personality and work ridiculously hard at exams and things like that and um, so that was a big that was a good good learning lesson for me then back then yeah and um, it's it's a really dark and often hopeless path you trod to you, you know, during your teenage years, but you display such faith throughout. And you've talked a little bit about where God was for you, but um, yeah. But where where does he? Where was he? And and where does he continue to be in in your depression? It's a great question because it it it's not as though I've always felt 
that he is particularly close. In fact, I've probably not felt that he's anywhere near me. But I can say I've never, ever doubted God's existence. I've, I've doubted his goodness and what on earth he thinks he's playing at many, many times. Um, but I've never doubted his, his goodness. And I, when I was um, as a teenager, I, the way I coped was I wrote. And I wrote in this A4 pink hardback journal and I got from WH Smith with my pocket money. And I didn't know when I bought it that it, that was going to be the record of, of mental illness, but that's kind of what it turned into. Um, and it's a lot of it actually ended up in, in learning to breathe kind of minus the teenage angst um and for me actually is writing is my is my prayer life um I'm not particularly good at prayer times um I my mind wanders or I fall asleep generally speaking um my best prayer times are probably actually praying with my son at bedtime when I do bedtime because I have to focus and say stuff out loud otherwise he gets bored um but but yeah, it is writing is the way I process my emotions. It's the way I understand myself and it's the way I kind of communicate to God. Um, and it's it's the way I lamented before I ever understood what the word meant, I guess. Um, and it has become, it became the way, there's a lot in scripture about that talk about, you know, remember God when God did this, remember when God did that. And for me, having those kind of, having a diary and, and writing and journaling is my way of remembering and saying actually this is this is where God was when you thought that he was nowhere to be found um and kind of that gives me comfort because I even when I can't feel it I'm like well he was there last time so I'm going to assume he's still here this time that's 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 a really practical and helpful way of um, <laughs> doing that you know sort of having that remembrance um yeah I love that idea I might I might take that up actually <laughs> um I think if you read the bible though or are in church it can be really hard if you're depressed or anxious mm -hmm. um because I mean we talk a lot about the joy of the spirit don't we and the um you know phrases like do not be anxious and I, I've even got a little bit written in my bible at the moment with Paul being like well this seems a bit contrary to sort of modern day uh psychotherapy and it doesn't seem like he's particularly compassionate yeah. sometimes and um, yeah what what where in the bible is the stuff which is supportive of people um who have mental illness or, or are having bad bouts of of um mental health I think actually it is it's there far more than it's not and it's often our interpretation or kind of you know previous gen interpretations that has have made it seem so unsupportive particularly my my hobby horse is is kind of those verses around you know do not be anxious and what have you and and and, and actually Paul is not saying don't have a psychological and physical response to threat which is what anxiety is. What he's saying is don't ruminate on it without giving it to God. Yeah. And I think it's kind of best, it's best paired with, you know, Jesus's um, teachings about worry about, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. That's what Paul's talking about there. He's not saying, you know, if there was a bear coming towards you, your body must not react with anxiety so that you don't fight or flee. 
and he's saying don't ruminate he's and bring stuff to to god and and i love that that verse actually the, the bit that we miss out so much in that kind of do not be anxious about anything it's about um it ends with the peace of god which transcends all things will rest upon you you know it's the saying i almost think not that i want to rewrite the bible but i kind of do to say don't just be anxious don't just sit in it give it to god um and I think that's a really important kind of a really important lesson for us all, actually, is that actually it, the Bible is so honest about all, all the kind of every shade of emotion there is, all, all of the uh, human conditions. Um, and the lesson for us is that God can take it. God can take our, our anger, our jealousy, our fear, our despair Um a couple of my favourites are Elijah, um, when he's um, fled after um, he's basically been told that someone wants to kill him. And he goes and he sits under a, a bush and says, take my life, Lord, I've had enough. Um, I'm exhausted, just just let me die. And God basically responds by saying, have a nap, have some food. Then the angel says to him, you know the this journey is too much for you so there's that real acknowledgement that that he's been through a lot and then god speaks to him in that um still small voice and it's so intensely practical um yeah. the advice to eat and have a nap i think is pretty universal in most situations we face in life yeah <laughs> it's usually advice to my children <laughs> eat have a nap <laughs> there's no there's no condemnation in that there's no oh you should know better you should um you sh you should deal with it better um you know david in the psalms when he's saying darkness is my closest friend um the israelites when they're moaning about you know the fact that they've only eaten manna for ages um on the the journey to the promised land there's such brutal honesty and god never says don't be honest with me he says come to me um jesus is is the best example of this you know the, oh, the weeping with, with blood almost isn't it yeah, yeah. in the garden of gethsemane that's the other thing with the anxiety thing actually is the weeping the sweat tinged with blood um is actually a condition called hemadotroidosis i think i've butchered that name but it's where you're under such intense duress that your um the capillaries burst and so your sweat is tinged with blood and it's an ex extreme anxiety reaction um so actually scripture is not saying don't be anxious it's saying in that anxiety go to god which is exactly what jesus did in his you know utter despair in his anguish he went he took it to god in prayer um and i think that's the most comforting thing ever really um the fact that jesus experienced all those emotions as one who didn't sin you know our emotions aren't sins we do stuff out of our emotions that are sinful but the emotions themselves aren't sin it's probably the most uttered phrase in my household is to my son it's okay to feel sad angry impatient not okay to throw something yeah something over etc this, this is entirely ours yeah like this morning is it's okay to feel angry at your brother for whacking you the toy, but it's not okay to throw something back at him. <laughs> so. Yeah, okay in the feeling, not okay in the action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's actually a really helpful phrase, that, isn't it? Um, I think as children, 
growing up in the 90s I don't know it was more just don't do that that's yeah. wrong yeah, <laughs> don't be angry don't be sad um but yeah so things have moved on a bit thankfully um something that I was um really struck by reading your book learning to breathe about your your journey um through mental illness as a teenager was the disparity between the people who were amazingly supportive and the people who were um less so uh yeah that would be one way of putting it or horrendous yeah and there was uh, there was one particular person was it I think you referred to them as um uh, Ms. H um yes. and I think you'd you'd taken some pills and she just got in a fluster about the fact she was going to have to call your mum or you know what you know what what a silly thing you've done type thing like what <laughs> so my question is how can we better support people with either poor mental health or actual me- mental illness um practically emotionally spiritually what what kind of things what kind of things should we avoid doing so if you've read Learning to Breathe, exactly the opposite of what Miss H did. Um, in the, um, because her, I had taken overdose and her whole thing um, was, you know, doing, she called it doing something stupid, doing something silly. That was her whole language around it. And it's one of the reasons I became really passionate about the language we use about mental health. And um, yeah. in fact, um, and it's, that's a, it's, it's something that you, I, I think I heard, growing up a lot that's yes. sort of doing something silly you know and I think you talk about how we the, the, the language around suicide and how you know that you're committing it to committing suicide like you, you know it's like a an act like a, a legal thing you know it's a bad thing yeah which that's compassion definitely and um you know it it does stem from from um a lack of understanding but you're right in in certain instances and um, there was also just a lack of basic compassion <laughs> and I think that the most important thing is to listen to people when they're struggling and allow them to tell their story without imposing your comment so often we listen to respond we listen and we but we and we might have this nugget of information we know about a situation like depression and so we're listening so that we can just get that bit of wisdom that we think we need to to put in there um but actually a that might be completely irrelevant however whatever however good the advice is but secondly what people need is a space to tell their stories i believe um and both for people who have kind of poor mental health and those who have mental illness and particularly if somebody is in um, the mental health system they will have got used to answering set questions and talking about symptoms and talking about um risk and all of those things um but very rarely actually getting an opportunity to tell the whole story of of who they are as a person and so it is such a gift then to be able to tell tell somebody your story without the, a without them knowing that they're going to kind of rate it and and kind of dissect it um but to hold it as a, as a gift that you, you've given their story so so firstly is is the listening um <clears throat> but secondly I, I I do have this real bugbear hobby horse whatever it is about the language we use um 
around mental and emotional health and illness. And I, I use that really specifically because I think we all have, well, we all have mental health that, you know, in the same way we all have physical health, we all have mental health. Um, we will all at some point or another struggle with our mental health um, and have might have periods of poor mental health. And they, they those things are universal. Um, some people will have mental illnesses, yeah. but mental illnesses are distinct from poor mental health yeah. um, and struggling. You know, we all might have times when we're low, um, whether it be the time of the month or when we're kind of going through something specific, like a, um, grieving somebody or or the breakup of a relationship, um, or motherhood, or motherhood. <laughs> and, the the emotions we have in response to that are right and good actually we are meant to feel sad when we lose someone we're meant to get anxious before a job interview or before our child starts school that's that's natural and completely normal um where i think so much of the mental health discourse has kind of been a bit problematic in a way is that we've kind of gone so far that actually if people talk about having anxiety as if anxiety in and of itself is an illness when actually it's not it's really important if we didn't have anxiety we'd all be dead and um, because we would have no sense of danger a bit like my son um <laughs> it was I quite like him to have some more anxiety but anyway um, I have a son like that too so. <laughs> I feel like we can share a lot of wisdom on our growling <laughs> <laughs> small boys but anyway um when it comes to mental illness, however, there is, you know, mental illness isn't like breaking a leg. Um, it is, firstly, you get often get a lot more sympathy for breaking a leg, but there is a beginning point and an end point for most people when you break a leg, right? Yeah. Um, and it will heal. heal. Um, it might not ever be quite the same, but it will heal and you'll be able to do what you did before. And that's, you know, great um for most for many people mental illness um is chronic um not for everyone some people have an episode of mental illness and then never have it again um but for lots of people it's something they will struggle with um kind of at varying degrees for for lots of their life and so we need to to be distinct about that when we're talking about it and it is it is like a horror film sometimes living with mental illness it is the worst of yourself and the worst of the world we live in in your head basically um and i think what what i certainly have needed um and what i've seen help other people is is having people who can hold our hope for us when we're not able to do so um uh, dolly in dolly alderton's book ghosts she talked about she talked about best friends being somebody who can be a guardian of someone else's hope and actually i i really love that that sense that you know we can't mental illness is is very often the antithesis of hope it teaches you that nothing will get any better that this is how it is forever um and having other people around you who can say I know that you can't hope right now but I'm going to hope on your behalf has been 
really transformational for me actually and, and particularly from from those people who have been there since I was 14 who have seen the ups and downs and ins and outs of it all and who continue to hope when I can't they are the people who have made by far far the biggest difference that's super helpful thank you Rachel and and um and yeah and I guess I guess as well maybe not treat everyone the same as well because mental illness is a huge spectrum of things isn't that you know it's exactly depression OCD um bipolar you know all these things and and it's interesting what you said the first with the first thing as well about listening because one the biggest pattern that we found in every single episode when we ask these questions about how can we support people in a situation like you everyone says listen Mm -hmm. and I think we are so poor as humans and it's that thing I've started saying to my son recently you've got two of these in your ears and one of your mouth use the ears more indeed (laughs) and but but then then it's often a case that we even if we are listening we're hearing rather than listening if if that makes sense so um no that's that's really really helpful thank you and I just want to pick up on one one bit of sort of um advice as such or or specific area advice and I suppose a more spiritual element is you talk in the book about the church as shalom for you can you explain a little bit about how this applies to helping people who are suffering with a a mental illness and how can we create shalom in our in our churches as such yeah so shalom kind of the, the basic translation of shalom is the word peace um but actually it's so much more broader than that it's about wholeness and well-being um and completeness and justice and righteousness and salvation and kind of all those amazing things um, and so to a certain extent shalom is something we won't see um in its fullness until there's a new heaven and a new earth and it's one very much one of those now and not yet things um but equally it is something that is that it encourages people to be themselves and for us to create spaces where people are able to be honest um, about their brokenness, um, kind of which is almost seems so kind of counterintuitive when we're talking about wholeness. Um, but actually I believe that we can only have wholeness when we talk about our brokenness. Um, I am always struck um by the fact that when jesus after jesus's resurrection his scars remain and that for me i i guess in in scripture i see shalom most beautifully in, in the um encounters jesus had has after his resurrection he comforts cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. he is seen through the tears of a woman who, you know, her testimony counted for nothing in a court. And yet that was who he he kind of chose to go to first. Um, and it, he restores Peter. And actually it's these things that I think are shalom. It's it's restoration. Um, it's allowing people to, to, to mess up. Yes, to experience the consequences of messing up, but also to experience grace. It's about meeting people and, and allowing them to to cry allowing them to to teach us things actually that perhaps we we can't see um when we aren't tear filled um and it's about walking alongside people it's about being there in the long for the long haul probably the, the people who have made the biggest difference for me um in terms of mental illness are 
are the ones who've been working with me for kind of nearly 20 years and that you know that's not going to be everyone not everyone is going to be able to be in our lives all the time um but actually if we yeah I think if we are able to care well um, and care well for ourselves within caring we're much more likely to be able to be there for the long haul it's not about being available 24 7 for somebody um but it's about being available when you say you're going to be available um and so if that means you can you say you can text me whenever and i'll call you back when i'm able um or here's this dedicated afternoon that's for you once a week once a fortnight once a month whatever it is um it's about being really consistent and open to the possibility that perhaps what someone's going to say is uncomfortable but actually god is in our discomfort and god is in our pain and i believe he's never more so than when he does it within when we're listening to one another um, and listening to one another's pain and i think from a church perspective it's about Walter Brugman talks about and um, the church should be the most honest place in town not the, necessarily the happiest and I think that is absolutely vital what a quote I love that it's, it's amazing yeah which book it's in but it is great that that you know we we need to be able to have honest conversations in church not necessarily over coffee because coffee time after church is chaos um <laughs> But, you've got my two children running around your feet <laughs> um, but it's about making space for difficult conversations um you know in my work at kintsugi that's a part of you know having kintsugi hope well-being groups it's about being a part of that and being able to um make space for conversations around mental and emotional health um but also it's just about in our in our relationships in our churches um not glossing over the emotions that are talked about in scripture you know jesus wept david um raged uh there's you know jonah was despairing and just kind of a bit off the wall <laughs> um, <laughs> Saul struggled all of these things that the bible is not devoid of emotions and therefore our preaching and our teaching shouldn't be devoid of emotions either um i read this great book recently called attached to god by crispin mayfield who talks about um how often it's about the attachment styles um which we think of in parenting but he talks about it in terms of our attachment style to god and having a secure attachment style to god is about being able to be utterly honest um with how far we are from him um but know that we can come home to him and that at its heart is shalom for me it's coming home to god um coming home to him when we are really happy when we're really sad um but knowing that we have that we have home in god that's such a beautiful picture of the church and and god and yeah i love that so much um and it's kind of in in many ways that's the theme that you then pursue in your second book isn't it this idea of sitting alongside people whether it's in their joy and I think you quote Romans one no uh or is it Romans eight oh, quite a bit uh about rejoicing with people and yes. um with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep yeah and um yeah that sort of idea that that's what church should be you know in and 
honest and a place for for rejoicing but also also weeping um we actually did your um small group um uh plan that's oh, word, um on from and yet and we found it really interesting we haven't, i don't want to have too much time to get into it and yet today but I've, I've thoroughly recommend it but um to all the listeners um but one of the things that we we found really interesting from that was this sort of paradox of uh as women like when people say to us how are you we'll be like oh yeah we're fine we're fine um but then in our small group we'll always share our prayer request which are often quite not miserable it's not the right thing but they're often yeah they're not fun ones they're often you know about sort of quite upsetting things or um hard things in our lives but we very rarely then share the other side of that of like prayer ancestor prayer and so we've introduced in our small group now that when we're sharing prayer requests we also have a little moment of rejoicing together and telling each other because it, it's that thing of um um sorry if you heard that noise <laughs> in the background that's my dog's ears flapping um, um um, uh we often um yeah we're not really honest about our rejoicing or our our sadness sometimes as as women really um and um yeah so we found that really really helpful in our small group and one thing I want to cover before we we finish um because I'm aware that we've talked about how we can support people with mental illness um, or in or, or poor mental health, but um, from the perspective of us helping them. Mm. But given the stats around mental illness that look, look quite high, or and and for poor mental health as well, it's likely there's going to be people listening today who are finding themselves um, mm. in those situations. How? What? Can you point to some? resources or or ways people can can help themselves if they're listening to thinking yeah I think I think I'm in that category and I've not sought help before but I need to seek some help now so I think practically speaking there there are two the two kind of key ways in terms of accessing support kind of on the NHS and the first is by going to your GP um the GP is kind of the gateway to any secondary mental health services um if that's what needed and um, but also in in most if not all areas of the countries there's um something called the improved access to psychological therapies um sometimes called well-being service um in which you can self-refer um to get kind of a short course of um it's usually cbt um for about six weeks which for some people actually might might kind of do the trick um and i think that alongside finding a community with whom you can be honest um are the two things they're, they're certainly the two things I found most helpful um it's kind of having a place to be honest and um, in my case also medication um and at different times kind of in my life um seeing seeing a psychologist as well um on the NHS that's kind of all done through mental health services um but there are options if if um if people are looking there are there's something called the counselling directory um, where people can search for kind of therapists according to their specialism and their area, whether they want to do it online, et cetera. Um, and that, you know, that does cost money, but that that is available. Um, but also just, I guess, for churches, if I really encourage churches to have a well-being fund so that actually if people really need counselling and they can't access it on the NHS, um, 
perhaps the church can subsidize it for a little time um yeah. i think that that is such a powerful um and important thing that churches can do um to support their congregants and to support people um it's, do- it's so important especially with the nhs services as they are at the moment isn't it and um, a guest that we had on who happens to be our friend in the first season, um, she lost her husband uh, last year and um, set up this charity called Brighter Stars. And, and one of the things that she's doing through that charity is is funding counselling mm. for, for families who are distraught and can't um, yeah. access help. Sorry. No, def- it is. I think it, it, in the times we live in, sometimes uh, you know the nhs might be say be able to say this is what you need there's a really long waiting list and actually if we can just open up the access for people to say okay i can commit to that for however many you know i only have to find x amount because church covering a little bit um i just think that that can be it's just a a way to be community absolutely absolutely Oh, Rachel, you have been so, so helpful. Thank you. It's just such an amazing discussion of um, you you sprinkle like so many practical tips and and pointers for us, but also it's all sprinkled with theology and and Bible and the Bible. And it's um, thank you so much. It's been really helpful. Um, Thank you so much, Rachel, again, for coming in and speaking to me on Zoom, should I say. if you want to uh, see more of Rachel's work, you can follow her on Instagram. She's on there as Rachel Newham 90 on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, I think. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you want to find out more about where Rachel works in Kintsugi Hope, you can go to www.kintsugihope.com. And Rachel also has a a website at rachelnewham.com as well and um you can also read her books learning to breathe and and yet i'll put all the links to these on the show notes but rachel before we go can i pray for you i'd love that thank you <laughs> lord thank you so much for rachel's honesty and vulnerability and sharing her story and her wisdom with us we pray for your holy spirit to be with her guiding her giving her strength and more wisdom in her work in this area We pray that those she's working with have ears to listen to advice as to how we can make the church a better place for people suffering with mental illness and poor mental health and that churches can become a place of shalom. Father, we also pray for those listening today who may be experiencing poor mental health or illness. Help them to know there's rest in your arms and joy to be found in you even when they feel hope is lost. Give them the strength to reach out for help if they need it. And we pray too that we become better at sitting with people wherever they're at enjoy all lament and we embrace um all the different seasons of life in order to deepen our relationship with you in your name we pray amen thank you so much <laughs> oh it's been my absolute pleasure i hope to speak to you again soon love to <laughs> i'll speak to you soon bye Rachel is just such a total legend I love that episode so much and um, it was a lovely way to kick off recording the podcast again for me I just particularly love the way that she acknowledges the importance of all our different emotions and that she 
I can you know she's she's found where we can where we can find that throughout the bible and I think sometimes and I don't know whether this is just the way we read the bible maybe it's the way that we're brought up in society sometimes I know there's a lot of talk about this at the moment about you know in parenting circles about the importance that we validate um our children's emotions and I think Rachel shows that we've got to validate our own emotions um for ourselves but also before God too and that God accepts those emotions in us as his children so that's a pretty good role model of parenting for me as well to um apply um with my kids and and myself as well I think sometimes we need to almost re reparent ourselves with these things don't we um Anyway, we barely scratched the surface with some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about with Rachel. However, Rachel did mention that she might be able to come back at Christmas to do a bit of a special on uh, the motherhood stuff that she refers to in her book, And Yet, and the bittersweet, bittersweetness of motherhood. So I will hold her to that. Anyway, that's episode one done. We've got nine more episodes to go and lots of a brilliant guests and content to come so we will see you soon remember all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes if you've enjoyed the podcast today please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already and even better you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on see you next time